Welcome to the Automotive Leaders Podcast, where we help you prepare for the future by sharing stories, insights, and skills from leading voices in the automotive world with a mission to transform this industry together. I'm your host, Jan Griffiths, that passionate, rebellious farmer's daughter from Wales with over 35 years of experience in our beloved auto industry and a commitment to empowering fellow leaders to be their best authentic selves. Stay true to yourself. Be you and lead with gravitas, the hallmark of authentic leadership. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Automotive Leaders Podcast. And today we are going to deconstruct the episode with Jeremy McCool. In case you missed it, Jeremy McCool is the CEO and founder of Hevo, the wireless EV charging company. And Jeremy has a lot to say about leadership, leadership traits of the future, and his experience as a tech startup in the EV space, entering into what we know and love as traditional OEMs. And as I thought about this, I thought, now, who would be the perfect person to deconstruct this interview with me and go a little deeper? And I thought very quickly of my friend and colleague, Carolyn Sauer. Now, Carolyn is the Director of Business Development for Schaltbau. And Schaltbau is a company, yes, very much entrenched in the EV battery and technology space. And we'll hear about that in just a moment. But Carolyn has a wealth of experience, both in traditional automotive and now in the electrification space. And that's why I picked her. Let's not talk about the fact that she is a whole lot of fun and has a tremendously strong and bubbly personality. Carolyn Sauer, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jan. It's great to be here. I appreciate you having me. Tell us a little bit about your background. First of all, hit the highlights for us, if you would, your traditional automotive background. Sure. So I've been in the automotive industry for just over 20 years. The bulk of my experience was at uh, two different automotive lighting suppliers, North American Lighting and Hella, where I was responsible at various times for marketing or sales or both. And now I am at Scheltbau, which is a company that is 93 years old and has traditionally supplied to the rail industry. In the last decade or so, they've been breaking into the electrification market because of their expertise in high-voltage DC applications. So we're a traditional company with a great strong history that's acting in some respects like a startup. Yeah, and that's why I think you're the perfect person to deconstruct Jeremy McCall, right? Because you are right there in the space. He's coming at it from a startup, you know, never worked in automotive a day in his life background, but you're coming at it faced with the same issues, but with a lot of experience in that environment. Yeah, I could definitely relate to a lot of what Jeremy was saying in his interview. There were so many valid points and things that he said that I could relate to. And the first one that stood out to me where I really felt fully validated is how to get into and talk with the right people 
at the traditional OEMs. Because when I was in lighting, it was very clear. You could look on LinkedIn, you could call someone, anyone you talked to in the building that you worked in, they all knew this is who you talk to for lighting, for purchasing. This is who you talk to for lighting, for engineering. And now working in a space where we have a product that fits into the battery distribution unit of an electric vehicle, or it goes into a charging station or a test bench system, there are multiple groups within each traditional OEM that are responsible for aspects of the electrification process. And trying to get to the right person now, as Jeremy mentioned, is really tricky. Yeah, and he said, when I asked him to describe what it felt like, he said antiquated. Now, you are experienced in the ways of automotive, so you didn't feel that stark difference as much as he did. But what's interesting, what I'm hearing you say now, and I don't think I got this earlier, is... It's the actual technology itself, the product itself that isn't falling into these nice, neat little silos. That's correct. Our product fits into many applications. There's a whole different group within each company that works on testing, that works on the battery distribution unit development, that works on the charging structure. There are multiple groups, multiple people. The standards are not really entirely clear yet. We're using a lot of legacy specs and requirements, and that's starting to evolve as we're all learning more about this space. And so it does make it very tricky to find the right person. When I was speaking with Kathy Fisher at the OESA event in November, you know, I told her, I talked to everybody. What is my strategy? It's to talk to everybody because You don't know who's interested, who's having a problem, who you can help until you really start talking and digging into it. Mm. Sounds like the OEMs have got a lot of work to do to figure out how they engage with suppliers, whether it's new high-tech suppliers like Jeremy coming in or whether it's taking a technology, an existing technology from another industry which is the space that you're in and applying it to automotive. Just for our listeners and for my own education, tell me again exactly what the product is at Chalpa. Sure. So we do switches, contactors, and high-voltage connectors. The main product that we are selling to the traditional OEMs is a bi-directional DC contactor. And it basically makes or breaks the power. So, for example, if you're driving in your electric vehicle, there's an emergency situation or a crash or something happens, our contactor would shut off the power. Looking at the traditional purchasing processes coming out of an OEM or even a tier one, you know, we talk about speed and agility and we want to be able to engage with technology as quickly as possible and integrate it and bring it on board and scale it. But it sounds like we're light years away from that yet at the OEM level. But what advice would you have for an OEM looking at their sourcing process right now? I have a lot of contacts in OEM purchasing at a lot of the MEMA town hall events. They are all stating that they really want to embrace new suppliers and open up their channels and avenues for purchasing. And yet, reaching out to them directly 
it's very different because either there's no response at all or it's a very delayed response. And I think in part, it's got to be because they're just overwhelmed with everyone wanting to get in there and show their product. And so a lot of it is education. So part of my advice is for them to be a little bit more open to new products that they haven't used before and to understand the benefits of those products, especially as it relates to, you know, consumer features and consumer safety, because that's that's what we're all about. You know, our product is a safety feature and in a lot of respects can be safer than what's being used. But no one knows that they'll, you know, not here, not in the U.S., not not yet. We're working on it. Yeah, and you're right. And that's right in line with what Jeremy said, right? He said that OEMs need to take a more coaching, nurturing approach. And from the supplier side, it's more like consultative selling. So it, it's, it really is that collaborative relationship that we've talked about for decades and never actually figured out how to do it in this industry. I've never seen it happen. It's always, it's always been a level of an adversarial relationship. But here's the tech startup CEO saying, no, we, we need to change this. It needs to be more nurturing, more coaching, more consultative selling kind of approach. I'm assuming you would agree with that. Yes, and I've, I've always been a fan of the consultative approach to selling because, again, I really look at it as an opportunity to help solve a problem, you know, whether it's in the industry or or elsewhere. But that's really the approach to take. You know, I like to understand what the customer needs are, what are their requirements. If the requirements seem outdated, I like to know who can I go and talk to to say, hey, did you, have you considered this? They may say yes, and, and we're not interested, and that's great. Just to make sure, though, that we've had that conversation, that we're all really working towards the best, safest outcome on the vehicles. Let's talk about the leadership aspect of Jeremy McCool. What struck you about his leadership? Jeremy McCool is fascinating. He started off talking about running his own business when he was seven years old and having to get a business license. Who does that? I was babysitting at 12. I wasn't out selling my services and building it up so big that I had to get a business license. It's just amazing how much conviction he has and has had from such a young age. It's really impressive. Yeah, I think he's one of those people that once he puts his mind to something, no matter what it is, once he's all in and he believes in it and he's got that purpose around it, then the conviction follows and it happens. Yes, that is definitely what I got out of listening to him. And what really makes my heart sing, Carolyn, is the fact that he is a great example of future leadership in this industry. And what I'm seeing is that people like Jeremy McCall, they're not trying to fit a mold of corporate leadership. You and I grew up in a world where there was a definite mold of corporate leadership that we had to follow. You were in the sales field. I was in the procurement field. I was taught to be more adversarial. The more aggressive you could be with a supplier, the better. And there was definitely a way of behaving, more of a command and control style of leadership that the evidence around me or everything that was happening around me told me that if I employed that leadership style, I would be successful. 
And that is not the case anymore. There's no mold for leadership, as I see with millennials and Gen Z coming up. They believe in a leadership model that resonates with them. They couldn't care less what their fathers did. They're going to do what they believe to be right. Are you? Did you get that from Jeremy? And are you seeing that in the industry? I completely get that from Jeremy. And I am seeing more of that in the industry. I think that it's become necessary, not only just after COVID with people being more remote and detached and not being able to come together face-to-face as often, but in other ways where leaders are becoming a little bit more empathetic to personal issues that come up or being a little bit more open to listening to the next generation sharing their ideas. Yes. And I think all of that too comes back to the company brand And one thing I noticed about Jeremy is that he brings his purpose. He's been able to articulate the purpose and structure it around certain values that are the hallmark of his brand, of his company. And he did that in a very clever way. Even with his just the name of the company, you wouldn't think so much thought would go into HeatVo. But it stands for Hybrid Electrical Vehicle Optimization. And if he had stopped there, I was already impressed because that's exactly what he's doing. And there aren't many companies where their name says exactly what they do. But he didn't stop there. He went on even further and aligned their core values with those letters. So honesty, empathy, vision, and optimism. And everything he does and everything his company does is centered on those core values. He's created this brand identity. And as human beings, we have an identity that we want to be. There's a person inside of us that we are trying to be like in our own heads. It's it's our own personal identity. And it is that identity that drives behavior. So taking that time to clearly clarify your company's identity, your company's values, and not just throw together some shit on a PowerPoint and stick it up on a conference room (laughs) wall and say, oh, yeah, here's our values and here's our brand. And really, nobody knows what the hell it means. You've never seen that, have you? (laughs) No, no, I haven't seen a lot of that shit in a PowerPoint in the last 20 some years. (laughs) Okay, maybe a little bit. But I can't imagine him doing something like that. You know, everything he does has purpose and meaning and conviction. It does. It does. It was really just such an incredible interview to listen to. What about the way that he describes leadership and influence? What struck you there? That was another fascinating story and description. So a leader, a true leader is able to influence people. But his point is, it's it's a lot easier for someone to influence you to do something positive. It's not always easy to influence someone to do something challenging or perceived as negative or outside of their comfort zone. You know, and he took that experience directly from, you know, when he had to go to Baghdad and he, he was he, he was in the army and had that experience where he had to encourage people to run towards the bullets, which is not something I think most of us have heard of before. Usually you hear a bullet, you're running away from it. But his job was to get people to run towards them. And 
honestly, that is the kind of leader I think any of us would want to work for, is someone that can really push you outside of your comfort zone, really get behind what they are seeing as and laying out as their vision, and just going for it. Yeah, and boy, in this industry, we often have to run towards the bullets. There's no no question about it. And the leader that has the, the vision, the conviction, and the ability to create that safe space that you want to be there with them. That's the difference. That's what inspiring leadership is all about. It's like, no matter what happens, I don't care what battle we're going into, what war we're going into fight, I'm in. That's the kind of leadership that we need for the future. And that's what he does. That's how he inspires people. Absolutely. And if he didn't have me at that point, I was definitely hooked when he mentioned that his favorite genre of music is old school hip hop, because now I'm totally going into the bullets with him. (laughs) In fact, I may need to throw down a challenge for Jeremy McCall. Oh, do it. So I I think that I need to challenge him to a corporate karaoke uh, duel where the music genre is is old school hip hop. It is absolutely my favorite. And um, I don't want to hear that it's tricky, Jeremy McCool. I I want you to figure out a way that we can can do this and have fun with it because there's just really no greater equalizer among leaders than when you're doing something out of your comfort zone, like singing karaoke. (laughs) Well said, yes. That's the first time anybody's thrown a challenge out on this podcast. Of course, it would have to be Carolyn Sawyer. Of of course. course. (laughs) (laughs) I'm following you into bullets. You can do a karaoke duel with me. (laughs) That's right. That's right. But I do think that, and that's one of the reasons why I added that personal section onto the end of the podcast interviews, because great leaders, truly authentic leaders, are perfectly fine with sharing some of the personal side and showing that some vulnerability. And that's something that we haven't seen a lot of prior to COVID and in the old school automotive leadership model, would you say? Oh, for sure. And and even just because I love this example so much, there are times I would get in my vehicle and going out to lunch with colleagues and forget that on the way into work, I had been rocking out to some old school hip hop and they get in the car and it's blasting and they're just like, who are you? <laughs> but, you know, sometimes there's just something quirky about you that you like to do or that you like to listen to just to relax and get outside yourself a little bit. So, so yeah, I love it. I love it when leaders are really honest about who they are and open, and it really makes it feel comfortable for others to do the same thing. You know, I don't want my team members to come into work every day and feel like they have to be a different person at work than they are at home. I want them to be their authentic self all the time, no matter what that may look or feel like. And it's not going to look and feel the same way every day. You don't know what's going on in someone's life. But when you're working with me, be who you are. What did you think, Carolyn, about Jeremy's comments about the 80-20 rule on meetings? Oh, I loved it. I really can relate so much to that comment. He basically was saying that in his company, 
they only will allow up to 20% of their time to be spent in meetings. And having been at companies where it is a meeting marathon almost every day, I so appreciated that. He said, the reason is, if you have all of these meetings booked, there's no room for creativity. There's no room for new thoughts. There's no room to brainstorm and talk with your colleagues. And honestly, when you're trying to solve problems, when how often do you do it in a meeting versus in a brainstorming session or when you're just chatting with your coworkers? So I love the idea of having free time to think and be creative and really work on solving problems and not just talking about things. You're so right. It's not just talking about it for the sake of it or talking about it because this particular meeting is on the schedule on this day every month and this is the agenda topic. It's more of a status meeting or it's a somebody trying to prove a point or show how strong they are or how knowledgeable they are and everybody else eye rolling in the, in the meeting. You know, those are not meetings. Those are a complete waste of time and effort. There's grandstanding, there's blaming, there's just, you know, chest pounding. I don't have time for that. That's great. You did a great job. Let's all pat you on the back. But can we do it as we're walking down the hall and not in an hour-long meeting? Along with that, too, goes the office space and the office environment. I was recently at an OEM in uh, Tennessee, and I was uh, looking around their corporate office, and it was just... A lovely mix of traditional conference rooms because there, there is a need for a traditional conference room and then smaller, more collaborative spaces and then almost like little nooks with tables, you know, where you could yes. just maybe grab somebody and have a quick like 10 minute conversation about something because that's that's where the magic happens. It's in the gray area to me. It's not during the actual meeting time. It's the conversations before and after. Why is that? Because people are more relaxed. So then why don't we just structure our meetings around that instead of the other way? Exactly. And I learned that, fortunately, very early in my career when I was at North American Lighting. The Japanese culture has a term called nimawashi, and it basically is to pre-align with individuals and have those discussions before you get into the meeting. And I, of course, learned this the hard way because I thought at that point that meetings were where the decisions were made. And we would get in these meetings and I'd be proving my case and then we wouldn't go the direction I recommended. And I'd talk to my boss after and ask why. And he would say, it was decided before this meeting. And I was like, what? What do you mean? How is that possible? But it really was a really valuable lesson in knowing your audience, understanding all of the dynamics behind a problem, and talking to individuals ahead of time, not just getting into a meeting and ordering court and saying, this is what we're going to do. Again, I was just, I was very lucky to learn that early on, but I can't emphasize that enough that I really think those individual conversations are very important. Yeah, and that's not to be confused with a pre-alignment meeting. Some companies have pre-alignment meetings to align for the regular meeting, which that totally blows my mind. I've been in a few of those. There's a big difference. Aligning on perspective and positioning and making sure that people understand the the decision or, or your position that's one thing. That's what you're that's what you're talking about. Do you know the other person who really supports that? And this is again from a Japanese OEM background is Dr. Andy Palmer. He talks a lot about Nimawashi too. 
Oh, yes. Yeah, it's, I think it's, it's critical. To me, it's kind of like common sense relationship building. It is. You know, no one wants to feel like they're not being heard or they're not being listened to when you're talking about an issue that affects so many people. Why not treat them like the human that they are and have the conversation? I mean, you wouldn't walk into a meeting with your family and tell them this is what we're doing and you're going to love it. And here's the reasons why. No, you would be talking to them individually. What do, you, what do you think about this? What do you think we should do? You know, everyone's in it together. Everyone wants to solve the problem. Everyone wants to have a positive outcome. But there's different ways to go about it. And by having those individual discussions, you know, you're learning too. There may be perspectives you hadn't even thought about. So just the listening and trying to understand what you're really deciding is just so important. So it's great that those companies like you were describing have those spaces now to have those kinds of conversations. Yeah, I haven't been to the Hevo office in uh, Brooklyn, but I would imagine it's uh, very much set up in more modern co-working kind of environment. Oh, I, I'm sensing a road trip. I think we need to go check that out. Maybe Ooh. when we do our karaoke competition. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great idea. One of the things that struck me with Jeremy McCall is that he really has no fear. He has no fear to walk into the unknown. And I'll quote from the podcast interview. He says, I didn't have any resources. I wasn't an engineer. I didn't have money. I didn't have investors lining up. I didn't have a team. I didn't have anything. He said, he just thought, you know what? I see what these guys have and I think I can do better. So this is after he had established his purpose around energy, he started to do some investigation into what was happening in the space of EV charging. And I thought his approach was very interesting. What did you think? I thought it was fascinating. I think, first of all, how brave to do that. I think he called himself naive in that in that in that phrase, but how brave to go out and do that and to know that you have such conviction for something that you're going to make it happen anyway. Whether you have the money, the resources, the knowledge that these people have, he literally just went out, talked to people, learned what he needed to do, and now he's doing it. It's really a testament to to who he is as a person. And again, I go back to the fact that, you know, at seven years old, he was getting his own business license. I mean, who's going to doubt that guy when he walks in and says, I'm going to make this better? Not me. Great. Let's do it. How can I help? Yeah, I agree. He really, he, he took the time to go out there and understand. He He knew there was a need for this product, but he wanted to make sure that he understood it. But he wasn't afraid to say, you know, that he didn't have the engineering skills behind him. He didn't have the resources behind him. He went out and did it anyway. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I wish I could have been in his backpack or something just listening in. I would love to know how those conversations started, how he even thought about who he wanted to go and talk to, because I feel like there are probably some really valuable lessons in his approach to that that a lot of us can apply today in, you know, trying to get new customers, trying to visit existing customers. That mindset, that thought process of, I'm here because I want to learn and I want to help you. But I do think that there's part of the leadership, the old leadership model is you don't venture out into an area or into something if you don't have all the data or all the facts, all the knowledge, all the skills behind you. And it's it, it, if there's a lesson here, it's to say that it's okay. Just go out there and do it anyway. 
Absolutely. It gets really right back to the whole authenticity. I don't have to go in and pretend I know everything and I have the answers. I'm really trying to learn. I'm really trying to understand what is what is the problem and how to impact it in a positive way. So one of the questions I like to ask in the deconstruction episodes is simply this. Would you work for Jeremy McCool? Oh, my gosh. I hope my boss isn't listening right now. But yeah, when can I start? <laughs> <laughs> and I say that I say that kind of jokingly. I do actually work for a really great boss, um, Jim Tulo, our president at Sheltbow North America, is amazing to work with. Jeremy McCool presents a really strong case for someone that really likes that kind of leadership style, and I do. He's a great example that we all can learn from, whether we're older or younger, to say, this is how you lead a team of people. This is what the vision is. Are you behind it? Then let's do it. And I I really love his energy and his conviction. Yeah, I'm all in with Jeremy <laughs> McCall, too. And it it just makes my heart sing that this is the leadership of the future in this industry, Carolyn. It, we have a future knowing that there are people like Jeremy leading these companies, don't you think? For sure. I want to be that McCool when I grow up. <laughs> okay. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. And uh, we'll bring you back again for another deconstruction episode. What do you think about that? That sounds great. Thank you so much. And I'm just going to go out with last words. It's tricky to rock around to rock around. That's right on time. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. Thank you for listening to the Automotive Leaders Podcast. Click the listen link in the show notes to subscribe for free on your platform of choice. And don't forget to download the 21 Traits of Authentic Leadership PDF by clicking on the link below. And remember, stay true to yourself, be you, and lead with gravitas, the hallmark of authentic leadership. <laughs>